following is a gospel recording from the Church of Christ. There may be concepts and terms that are difficult to understand. Please visit us to learn more. Some events are such significance that the term, they change the course of history. We, we know that expression there. Uh, or they change our lives in some ways. For example, in medicine, uh, the discovery of penicillin has changed a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things. The, the mosquito vector of transmitting malaria. Once they determined how the malaria, uh, the malaria parasite was transmitted by the mosquitoes, now we know that we can, if we eliminate the mosquitoes, bring more bats in here instead of spraying them. But anyhow, get rid of the, the mosquitoes, they can reduce the incidence of, of malaria and so forth. Surgical techniques and so forth. The way we, we perform surgery today here. If you look in the history, uh, back even in the Roman times, in the times of, of the Law of Moses and so forth, how things have changed so dramatically. In science, the invention of the computer, the microchip, uh, the invention of calculus, <laughs> or laser technology and things like that. In warfare, uh, the invention of gunpowder radically changed the, the way that the armies conduct warfare. And then there are various battles that are recorded throughout history that, that have formed these, these events that have changed the course of history and so forth. Now some of these events, uh, not only changing the course of history, but they are highly, highly significant. In fact, they're so significant that they radically alter life within societies all over Earth. And we call those pivotal events. There's something about that event that uh, that it was recorded. You have, you have a, you can't, you have to have an event before you can have a, a you can before put it on a timeline. But you have, you're going along with the timeline of history, and there's something, some event that takes place that now you have a before, and you have an after. Things change significantly as between those two events. For example. Uh, the outcome of World War II was, could be considered a pivotal event in world history. But if you look at the, the war itself and the conduct of the war and so forth, um, you see that it is taken as a sum of numerous sub-events. So here you have the, the introduction of this kind of technology or this technique and so forth. And the sum of these events led to the outcome of, of the war and then that changed the, before the war and after the war. Um, on my flight over here, I was, I was uh, trying to trying to get get used to flying over, and I, I watched a movie on the flight. Um, the movie was called The Imitation Game. <laughs> okay, right. Um, Benedict uh, Cumberbatch. Is that you know that? Okay. The The Imitation Game. It was a fascinating movie. Unfortunately, there was some uh, some aspects of it I won't go into that right now. But uh, there is a brilliant mathematician. Uh, named Alan Turing that invented what's called the Turing machine. And that is, that was a, not the first computer, but it was a computer designed to break the German high command's code called Enigma. It was, uh, in fact, in the movie they showed, uh, they showed the process where they were doing it. They had the, the group of, of brilliant mathematicians working on this. And, uh, and then they had, they knew that they, they changed the code at midnight every night. And, um, so they had a, a chime, an alarm clock. Something went off at midnight. They're feverishly working away, trying to crack the codes, 
with their with their mental, their brains. And then as soon as that alarm went off, they just sat back, swatted up their papers, and threw them away because all of their prior work was now obsolete. They knew that the German high command had changed the codes at midnight. Everything leading up to that was worthless to try to, to solve the problem instead. But once they figured out how to, to break this code, that became a pivotal event within the, the overall pivotal event by being able to read these codes uh, in, from the German high command. All right, this is not a history lesson. There is a point to all this, really. So we have throughout history these pivotal events that change the course of history. But there is one event in recorded history. It is not a myth, it is recorded in history. And that is the pivotal event of all humankind. It was a spiritual event, not a physical one. It affects all mankind regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of culture or language. And it was a culminating event, a, an event made up of a series of highly significant prior events. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That sequence of events was his birth, his life, his death and burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. We need to remember not, remember not to forget. Does that make sense? Let us not forget that his ascension to heaven was a critical part of the resurrection. But his, his, as I mentioned, birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, those, those components, I'm, I'm putting them all together in the resurrection of Christ. And I think we understand that that's the idea behind the resurrection. And so a point there before we move on is with the death and the burial of Christ, how do we remember the death and burial of Christ? Or the death of Christ. I should just say the death of Christ. By observing the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper to remember his death from the time he instituted that until he returns someday in the future. We don't know when. But he said, until, until I return, remember my death through the Lord's Supper. How do we participate and know about the death, the burial, and the resurrection? as we obey the gospel. Baptism is our participation. We die to sin, we are buried in water, and then we rise out of the water a new creature, in newness of life. And so that is part of something for us to keep in mind. Please keep that in mind as we go through this, this, uh, this, uh, this lesson here. Um, we read uh, Acts 24, verses 10 through 15, verses 14 and 15 in particular. The Apostle Paul, as he's defending himself in front of Ananias, the high priest, and so many others uh, in Jerusalem, he, des he described how he was being called into his, his, uh, uh, his preaching, was called into question because of the hope of the resurrection of all, that there will be a resurrection. And that is certainly the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you, you know, we're not going to look, we'll look at a few verses later on, but no, we're reading the whole chapter, all 58 verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a chapter that describes the, the logic and the reasons for the resurrection. I invite you to read that sometime and study that as well. As in other verses, or other chapters within 1 Corinthians, uh, he, uh, the Apostle Paul describes certain acts or certain aspects of, uh, of, the, of the work of the church, the worship of the church, and so forth. Chapter 15 deals, a great deal of that uh, deals with the, with the resurrection. But let me, uh, let me give a, do you know what a bluff is? B-L-U-F, bottom line up front, in terms of, 
in terms of, of uh, I know that from the military, the government, and the industry, and the corporate world, is that as you're presenting or giving a presentation, you want to give the, the most important information. Why, why are we here with this? With this, We'll give it up front, and then we'll explain it, and then we'll re reintroduce that. And that's what it is. God's plan for salvation required Jesus' resurrection. Without Jesus' resurrection, there would be no salvation. We'll get to that in just a, just a few moments here. There is a... Uh, all right, there we go. There is a, a, a structured analytic technique called what-if analysis, where you, you, you take a problem, uh, no matter how, uh, how, how improbable it may be, you say, I, I know that a meteor may not, not smash into the earth and destroy the world, but what if it does? Well, you know, it's not going to... I know, but what if it does? Let's consider the impossible and the improbable to see what might happen or what could happen. And we may discover things that would be important for us to, to plan for, uh, for in the future. So if we apply what-if analysis to the resurrection, think about this. What if Jesus failed to die? Well, he didn't fail to die because we have it in the Bible. Yes, I know. But what if he failed to die? There would be no fulfillment of the prophecy. The Bible would be just worthless. There would be no resurrection. That's just a, a joke, a story. There would be no victory, no judgment, no hope, no home in heaven. Think about that sometime. This is a good way to, to study the scriptures and, and consider things. If you read it, say, okay, yes, but if you flip it around, what if it were the other way around? That may give you a different perspective as you study the scriptures and get maybe an aha moment. Oh, that's, that, that makes, makes a lot more sense. But the bottom line there is if, if none of these things happened, if Jesus did not die, the devil would have won and God would have lost. Praise be to God that he is more powerful, that the devil has no power in, in the face of God. That he only lives because God allows him to live, but he has an end waiting for him, uh, a lake which burns with fire for all eternity. But anyhow, in in First Corinthians chapter uh, uh, chapter fifteen, okay, I need to point. There we go. All right. So there's the logic of the resurrection that, that he presents this, uh, and I've just pointed out a few verses here. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised, and if Christ be not raised. Your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And goes on from there. So when we consider the resurrection of Jesus, what if, this is what Paul is doing right here, what if Jesus had not been raised from the dead? Well, this is what happens. And notice the arrow goes down, okay? Because, because normally when we get, we're defeated or so, it's kind of like that. No one ever says, good morning, everybody. I'm absolutely miserable today. I can't wait to have a rotten day today. No, we don't do that. We, we're just like, oh, man, what's wrong, brother? What's wrong, sister? Oh, I'm having a miserable day today. So it's down. You know, you kind of, your shoulders droop and so forth. That's why I put it down. Defeat, despair, misery, and fear. All of these sounds like a country western song. Anyhow, downward stroke. This is what he's saying here. If these things had, if Jesus had not been resurrected, this is what we would have. We'd have no hope. We would be living a lie. And this is what we'd have. But, now we have, he said, but, now is Christ raised from the dead and become the first fruits of them that, that 
that slept. And so the opposite there, instead of defeat, there's victory. Instead of despair, there's hope. Instead of misery, there's joy. And instead of fear, there's anticipation. Anticipation of what? Jesus returning someday as he promised. But all of this is because Jesus, uh, because of Jesus' resurrection. And as a result of that, in the, Paul wrote in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, he said, If ye then be risen with Christ, how are we risen with Christ? Through baptism. Died to sin, buried as Christ was buried, and raised out of the water to walk in newness of life. So we are risen with Christ through baptism. He said, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and not those things on the earth. And so we have this logic here of what if Christ had, had not died, what would happen? But the answer is Christ did rise from the dead. God raised him from the dead, and we have victory, hope, joy, and anticipation of Christ's return someday. Okay, now in this, uh, uh, I have a, a few uh, segments here, and this is where we're going to start, uh, start a little bit with my timeline. I'm going to step through the timeline. So don't think it's just going to be this massive eye chart. <laughs> what is he talking about? We'll step through this, and this is where I want you to follow along with your, your Bibles uh, as you're able to do that. Okay, but anyhow, in the, the prelude, first of all, we have the reality, the reality of the resurrection. From the beginning, God laid the foundation for Jesus' resurrection. And how did that cause, or how did that happen? Well, first, it starts... God, the Godhead is, was, is an eternity. God has always existed. He never, there's never been a time when He has not existed. He will always exist. He exists now. He exists then. He exists in the future. He exists in all time. Time to God is irrelevant. Time is something that He made for us, His creation. But He lives, He, the Godhead lives in timelessness. He lives in eternity. And so here we are in eternity. And He created the heavens and the earth. So there was this, this amazing thing we read in, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 about the creation, about the seven days of creation, the sixth day of creation, with the seventh day being the day of rest. Hmm, that's interesting. When you talk to uh, people in the world that don't believe in the creation, oh, it's millions and millions of years and so forth. Uh, what day is today? Well, it's Thursday. Okay, and what day of the week is that? Well, let's see. Okay, that's the fifth day of the week. Five days. Okay, how long is a week? Seven days. Where did we come up with seven days? We have ten, five fingers, <laughs> each hand ten, and you know, we have to talk about digital, or digital, uh, digital, yeah. But, yeah, we talked about that. Why did we have ten days and so forth? No, seven days. Where does that come from? The Word of God. God Amen. created all things in seven days. But, what happened after that? Adam's sin. We read this in, uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, actually, I need to have some pages here. I need to look on. There we go. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 21, Adam's sin. We read about that. And what happened after that? Because of Adam's sin, we read in, uh, in, we read in uh, Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24, how Adam, or God sent Adam out of the garden. And he put the angel with the flaming sword at the entrance of the garden to prevent Adam and Eve from doing what? gaining access to the tree of life which is in the garden. You know when is the next time we're going to eat of the tree of garden? When we're in heaven. In the new Jerusalem. In heaven. That's where the tree of life will be where we may eat freely of that and drink freely of the river of life. 
before the tree of life was in this beautiful, perfect creation. Yes, the, we look around the world and we say, oh, it's so hot and humid today. Boy, this is kind of miserable. Or no, it's so cold here back in the States it is. This is not paradise. And so, no, the world was created perfect. God doesn't create a, a, sort of a, a, a half effort. God's creation was perfect. And the tree of life was planted in the garden but to prevent man from eating of the tree of life and living forever, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin. And so that God put a separation between man and God because of man's sin. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, it tells us, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your mind and yours, your iniquities, has separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Adam and Eve sinned against God. Their sins separated them from God. That wasn't transmitted to all humankind. Every single person that has ever lived, that lives now, and that will live, has the choice to be right or wrong, obey or disobey, sin or not sin. We have that choice. But our sin, from the beginning until the end, our sin separates us from God. And so God could no longer have that intimate relationship, that face-to-face, -face, I think it would be face-to-face, -face, relationship that he had with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then the, in the opposite direction, you see in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, God created a place to handle death, because now death entered into the world because of Adam's sin. Adam's sin does not condemn us to death. We die. That was part, that's part of what happened after that. The, no longer having access to the tree of life, we now face death throughout our lives. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, then the reality of death. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So death became a reality now. But what about the soul of man? God created man, a living soul. He formed man from the dust of the earth, breathed into his, his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God united soul, the spiritual part of our bodies, with the physical part of our bodies. We are united together. As we are alive here today, we are a spiritual being in a physical body. But what happens at death? Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. When our bodies die, our soul separates from our body. Our physical body returns to the earth and, and decays and so forth. But our spirit leaves the body or goes where? People say, oh, it went straight to heaven. That's not the case. Because God created a place for the spirit's that left, or the souls that left the bodies, the, the departed souls. It's called Hades. And uh, we read about this in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. We learn about this, the makeup of Hades, sometimes translated as hell. But when you read hell, uh, look at the context, because it's likely referring to Hades, the place of the departed spirits, not the end place for, for uh, after for final judgment. But in that place, there are two parts to that. There is paradise. This is where the, the uh, uh, Lazarus, the, the, the poor beggar, uh, he must have lived righteously because we presume that. It doesn't say he was a righteous man, but we, we know that because the angels, when he died, he, listen to this, the angels carried him to paradise. There he is in the, in the bosom of Abraham. Think about that. Okay, then think about what happened to the rich man who was not righteous. What happened to him? He died and he woke up in, in paradise. Don't, don't miss that part. Those that die in the Lord will be carried away in tenderness by the angels carrying us. If Christ has not yet returned, but when he returns, that will be a different story. But until then, 
The angels carry us to this place. But the dead, or the, uh, the unrighteous, they'll just wake up. It's almost like, you know, oh, this, this beautiful drawing I made, I'm going to set this aside. And all these scrap paper, wad it up and throw it away. I'm tenderly caring for this beauty, piece of beauty, but all the, the other parts, I'm throwing it away. Think about that. But here we have the reality. Our soul, our spirit separates from our body and death, and our spirit goes to the Hades. If we are in Christ, we will go to the paradise side. If we are outside of Christ, we will go to the torment. And you know what? There is no second chance after that. Once we die, we have this life. While there's breath in our lungs, while there's blood in our, circulating through our system, while we have a brain, we have this life to obey God. We do not have any second chance after that. And so let's keep that very, very important, uh, very important fact in mind. Okay, so what happened after this then? There we go. Okay, so here, once, once God put these, these in place, the separation between man and God because of Adam's sin, God separated himself from Adam and Eve and separated himself from all mankind for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And he created the place for the departed spirits. And from that point forward, this is a, a, one of these, these sub-pivotal events in, in all of mankind's history. Death reigned. Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 18 in part says, For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. That's Adam. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Remember, it's not Adam's sin that we bear. It's the consequences of his sins. That is, we no longer have access to the tree of life because of his sin. So every one of us, remember, is accountable for our own sins. So here we are in the preamble. Now we have the next, the next part is the purpose or the power associated with the resurrection. As God revealed himself more and more to mankind and he dealt with mankind, part of what he needed to do to confirm the word that he preached or that, the, that his messengers preached was power over the physical world, power over nature, uh, his own power over his creation, something that man cannot do. But by the authority of God, man was able to do that. God gave certain men the power to raise the dead. But by ourselves, we can do nothing like that. And so, it is, he had the power over the physical and the spiritual worlds. So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read about, uh, we read about how man became a living soul. I just talked about that. Uh, John verse 4.24, as Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit as in, as in a being, a spiritual being, but worshiping in spirit and in truth with the proper attitude and with the proper word, word of God. In Matthew 10, verse 28, uh, Jesus gave a warning. He said, fear not them which kill the body, but, not, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, that is in Hades. So God's power over the, his creation, over the spiritual world and the natural world, or the physical world, if you will. Man does not have control over these, but God does. And he used this to demonstrate his power and, and given them to, uh, to the, his messengers, those that spoke for him. And 
When we talk about resurrection, some people might say, well, that's not possible. What did the angel tell Mary when she says, how, when the angel came to her and said, for you shall be with child, she said, how shall I be with a child having known or having not had sexual relations with any man? The angel said, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. So let's not shortchange God. Let's not limit him. Let's, let's look in awe and at his power and his might all of the things that he controls over all of his creation. Here's some examples, and no, we're not going to look at through all of these, right? but by the way, these slides will be available on here. If you want a copy, you can, you can uh, make a copy from here. Because yes, I know there's a lot of material here, and, and as I said, we're not looking through all of these, but I want to point out these resurrection events in the Bible that, to show God's power over the physical and the spiritual world that he gave to certain men. Elisha, for example, with the raising of the Shunammite widow's son there. And also, after he died, he was put in a sepulcher, and then uh, when uh, there was some, uh, uh, those that, that put a dead man, they opened his tomb, put another body in there. As soon as that dead body touched his bone, that body came alive. So there was that. Then uh, in Jesus, we see some examples, various examples in during his, his ministry in, in life, even at his resurrection, the great earthquake that, that rent the rocks, and many bodies of the saints came out of the graves after Jesus' resurrection. Not all bodies came out, but many bodies of the saints. So in other words, by the, by the fact of Jesus' death on the cross, even that led to bringing bodies back to life. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul. Uh, let me back up just a moment. Remember, Jesus also gave power to his apostles to raise the dead as he sent them out to preach, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. We don't see uh, instances of what they did exactly, but he did give them that power. And we presume then that that's, they did raise some of the dead. And then going on, uh, uh, Paul, of course, with Tabitha, sweet lady, sweet woman. Read that and, and try not to cry when you read about that. If you think about the things that she did and the widows that were weeping, not just weeping over her, but their weeping was genuine and they showed the garments that Tabitha made for them. Wonderful, wonderful. At any rate, here are these examples, the resurrection events in the Bible that we can see God showing his power over his creation that he gave to certain men uh, in order to confirm the word that, 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 uh, that they were speaking, that he gave for them to speak. And so now we move to the, uh, the purpose. God revealed his purpose for Jesus' resurrection through fulfilled prophecy and another event of, of showing his power. And that is the power of him raising him from the dead. We read in, uh, in this verse, uh, in this part, first of all, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of the Son. There is a point in time that God said, Now is the time to send my Son into the world. All this pr time prior to that was preparing for that. Notice that all through this time, death reigned until that point. And then what happened a little bit later? Jesus was crucified. And again, I'm not going to go into details about all of the, the crucifixion, but the fact that he, that he died on the cross, that is another pivotal event, the fact that he came to earth, Son of God in human form, came to the earth, the Word of God became flesh and, and dwelt among us, uh, in the book of John chapter 1. He died on the cross, and then what happened after that? He was buried, 
and what happened when he was buried. We read that uh, as he was buried in Ephesians 4, verses 9 through, through, uh, through 10, now that he ascended, what is that but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. The Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian Christians, they was talking about the resurrection. But before that, before he was resurrected, where did he go? To the lower parts of the earth. Where is that? That is Hades. He went to Hades. That he that descended is the same that also ascended up uh, far above all heavens, that he might fill, uh, might fill all things. But we read, of course, the prophecies that show that God would not let his Holy One see decay. And so from here, we have uh, uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, uh, when Jesus predicted that he would rise in three days. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In Romans 6, verses 6 through 9 through 10, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And then Hebrews 2, uh, 2 verses 14 through 15, More as much, or for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself partook of the same. Jesus came in the flesh. Uh, that is the devil, and deliver, or I'm sorry, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subjected to bondage. Talking about the reign of death, but now he obtained victory over death by his resurrection. And from here then, Jesus was seen alive uh, by many, many people. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 8, the Apostle Paul describes the sequence of who saw him. Uh, and, and he talks about this in, in the of 500 people. And the less, eventually he said, and lastly he was seen by me who am least of the apostles. So if you read in 1 Corinthians 15, you can see all of those that witnessed him being alive, raised from the dead. And then he ascended to heaven, Acts 1, verses 9 through 11. Remember, Jesus gave his final parting words to the apostles. And then he rose to heaven, and he was taken up by a cloud. And as the men were looking up, a man in white apparel said, Ye men of Galilee, why are you looking up in the sky? This same Jesus who left the same way will return in the clouds someday. And so they went on to Jerusalem from there. In, in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 26, as Paul, or excuse me, as Peter was preaching the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, he said in part uh, about David's prophecy regarding Jesus' resurrection, where he, he refers to Psalm 16, verse 10, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And he was using that to explain that, explain that what you are seeing now, these, this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the apostles, that they're speaking and preaching the word of God in all these different languages. He said, you are seeing the things that were prophesied of, of old, including the, the resurrection of Christ that was foretold in the Psalms. And he went on from there. And so he ascended to heaven. And what is he doing in heaven? He now reigns over his kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 21 God, by his exceeding greatness of his power, raised Christ from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. That's just a paraphrase of, of all of that. And so he raised him from the dead 
and sitting at his right hand, and he reigns over his kingdom. And again, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 22 through 26, we read an important point to remember here. For as, all, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. See that difference here. All of us are going to die. But those that are in Christ, those that have obeyed the gospel, those that have participated in his death, burial, and resurrection, now through baptism, rise to walk in newness of life, our sins are washed away, we are in Christ at that point. He said, we will be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Notice that point. Christ, the first fruits. Christ is the first to ascend to heaven after being resurrected. All that, all that come after that, all that were before, all that died before are not in heaven. They're waiting for the judgment day in Hades, either in paradise or torment. But Christ was the only one, the first one, to ascend to heaven. And so as a result of that, now he's in heaven reigning over his kingdom. And he, as the first verse, he was the first. And from then on, uh, on the judgment day, which we'll get to in just a moment, all then will, will face him on that judgment seat. And then, at, at a later point, he will deliver up his kingdom to God at that, at that final day. And he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. So we have the, uh, the power of God. Not only the power of God of, of over the spiritual and the, and the physical world that, that he uh, gave to certain men to prove the, the word that they were speaking, but also the power for, by raising his son from the dead, sending to heaven, and now he reigns at his right hand. We now, uh, the prophecy, or as we've already looked at the prophecies, various prophecies uh, regarding, you can read in Matthew 27 about the Parting of the garments, fulfilling Psalm 22. Um, John 19, uh, referring to no bones broken, referring back to the, uh, about the preparation for the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Passover lamb, not of Rome shall be broken. Uh, the number, numbered with the transgressors in Mark 15. Also along the road to Emmaus, when he met the two disciples. Uh, in Luke 24, he spoke to them. He said, he said, O fools, and slow to believe, don't you know, don't you understand what the law and the prophets have said? And he spouted unto them all of these things that happened. And so here, God raised Jesus from the dead because he destroyed death. And now God promises that all will be resurrected someday. But there are certain conditions associated with that. First of all, we read in John 6, verse 20, uh, of the resurrection, uh, resurrection of the just. Uh, of the judge. He said, and uh, I will raise him up at the last day. That was Jesus saying that. He said, if you believe in me and, and obey me, you will have everlasting life and I will raise you up on the last day. A promise that Jesus made. John 14, verse 4, verses 1 through 4, he promised that there would be a place. He will prepare a place for all those who obey him. In other words, if, there, if he promised to make a place, doesn't that imply that he's going to Give that to you. Somehow you're going to receive that place. Yes, through being res resurrected. Um, in Acts 24, in Paul speaking before the council in Jerusalem, he talked about that, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So it's an important thing to remember. All shall be resurrected at the end. There's some conditions, as I said, associated with that. First Thessalonians 4, uh, in verses 13 through 18, the Apostle Paul gave comforting words to the Christians 
who were concerned about those, uh, their brothers and sisters in Christ that had died, yet Christ had not yet returned. What is going to happen to them? He said, don't worry about them. The dead in Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive shall, shall meet them in the air, and there we shall, we shall be with him forever. He's, he's talking about the, the perspective of those who are in Christ, not about those that are outside of Christ, but in Christ. And what did he say at the end? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's comfort one another with the word, with the, with the promise of resurrection, with the promise of a, of a place in heaven with Jesus Christ and with God. So we get back to our timeline. Christ, uh, Christ reigns. Oops. Okay, Christ continues to reign, and, and the, the march of time goes along, but then at some point, there will be the final day, the final resurrection. And we can read about this uh, in First uh, 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 Thessalonians and in, uh, in uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's letters about what is going to happen on that last day. All the things will happen instantaneously. The heavens and the earth shall pass away with great noise and fervent heat. So in other words, there will be no place for anybody to set their foot on. In other words, no place for a, an earthly kingdom anymore. All of God's creation will be destroyed. And then all shall stand before uh, stand before God. In, the, um, in John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, this is an important one to remember. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of God, and they that hear shall live. Talking about all the dead. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. This is the important part. All that will be resurrected, his voice. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So lest we think that the resurrection will only happen to those who are in Christ, no, the reality is all will be resurrected. But there are some resurrected to the resurrection of life and some to damnation. And then we, uh, we read in, uh, in Matthew uh, 25, verses 31 through 33, Jesus describes that, that scene on the day of judgment. He talks about uh, when all the nations shall be, shall be uh, assembled before him and Jesus sitting in his judgment seat and then he will separate the righteous from the unrighteous as a sheep separate. Shepherd, this is tough to say, shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Say that five times. <laughs> okay, anyhow, then comes the judgment after that. Well, what's going to happen at that point? Well, first of all, the dead, of course, the dead in Christ, or the dead will rise. Those that are in Hades. Hades, what's going to happen to Hades? You read in, in the Revelation chapter 20, near the end, I can't remember the exact verse, I think I have it in here. Death and Hades shall be cast into the lake which burns with fire. So, no more need for, for that place with the departed spirits because there's no more place for anything. Nothing exists any longer. No creation anymore. So all that's gone. And now all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and face Him. What's going to happen? This resurrection. Remember, now keep this in mind. All of this will happen all of this is possible because God knew from the beginning it was necessary and because Jesus rose from the dead by the power of God. He rose from the dead and thus this is what brings us all, uh, makes it all possible.
So the resurrection of Jesus is not just about, oh, that was an interesting, pivotal event in history. It goes beyond. Because of his resurrection, we have a resurrection to look forward to, for which will it be for us? The res resurrection unto life, because we've obeyed the gospel, or the resurrection of damnation, because we have not obeyed the gospel. And so what do we have then to look forward to? In that great separation scene in Matthew 25, the sheep on his right, Jesus talks about, about he says, Come ye into my, into my Father's presence, all ye that uh, uh, my, become my beloved. Those, he, will, uh, he will bring all those that obeyed him into his presence, into the presence of God, to be with him forever in heaven. And we, I'll let you read that. You understand, perhaps know the story already, know the, uh, the account already. We will then be reconciled with God. Now, let's look way back here, back here at the beginning. Because Adam sinned, God, we separate ourselves from God. Or he separated, they separated themselves from God. As we sin, we also separate ourselves from God. But we can be reconciled to God while we're alive now by obeying the gospel. And then there will be the final reconciliation at the end. If we are faithful, we obey the gospel according to his word, and we are faithful throughout our lives all the way until we die, we will have the joyous uh, uh, opportunity to be reconciled with God, brought back into fellowship with Him in heaven. But remember the rest of the story. The, those on His left side, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Think about that. How would you like to be thinking, I, I've been saved all my life, but then you stand before the judgment seat and then you hear those words, finger pointing right at me, right here in the forehead. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. When I obeyed the gospel, let me tell you this. I, some of you may already know this. I've mentioned this before. For a number of years, I grew up in various denominations, back to present, the convert. I just kind of lumped them all together. I was searching for something, but I didn't know what. And I've even told people, I, I was searching for the right, I call it the right denomination. Where was I looking? Dictionaries, encyclopedias. I was looking, but this is before the internet, by the way. So I was looking in other, it never occurred to me to look in the Bible. It never occurred to me. But I was searching for something and I didn't know what it was. When I came into the Air Force and I went through my, my intelligence school, my class advisor, and I, this is the providence of God, the miraculous, the providence of God. My class advisor is a member of the body of Christ. Do you know the name Don Underwood? He was the one that taught me the gospel. At any rate, he introduced himself, said, I'm, I'm Lieutenant Underwood, uh, married my children, Daniel, David, and Naomi. I had a religious mind. I was focusing in that. I thought, hey, those are Bible names. <laughs> so at the break, I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, yes, I figured so, because your names are, your children's names are Bible names. And, and he says, well, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. He said, where do you worship? I said, well, it's the First Presbyterian Church right over here. Oh, okay. Breaks over and we carry on and so forth. Later on in the course, he, he invited me to dinner. We had some discussions and so forth. But he asked me, would you like to come over and have a Bible study, have dinner? I said, yes, I'd like that. So I went over and he tried to... taught me the truth. For the first time in my life, I saw it in black and white, and the red letters too. I saw it in the word of God that I was lost. I, all this time in my life, I thought I was saved. And I looked at that, 
and I saw that I was lost. And I remember the blood draining from my face. If you've ever had that happen before, where you just suddenly some some event takes place in your life that you it's scary. But I remember I felt the blood drain from my face as I realized the horror. I was lost. I thought I was saved. And he said, Do you see what you need to do to be saved? Yes, I need to be baptized. Do you want to be baptized? Yes. Do you, to, when do, you, do you want to be baptized now? Yes. So he gave me a big hug, made a few phone calls. We went to the church building and I obeyed the gospel that night. I've never looked back. But I remember that. I thought I was saved. All this time, all of the, the teachings of men, I thought, well, I trusted them and I thought this. But no, it's in the word of God I found salvation. The words of Jesus. And so I was here. Now I'm here. Think about that. Where are you between these two? And what's going to what's going to happen after this? Those that will be reconciled with God are eternal reward in heaven. Not just a okay, step forward, shake, you know, congratulations, here's your diploma, you know, step on through. No, crown of righteousness that waits for us. We will be in heaven with God. Access to the tree of life. Access to the, the waters of life. With God singing His praises forever. Rest. No tears, no disease, no traffic jams. And so now there's a brother that I used to know, older brother that was a, was a brilliant uh, operator of a bulldozer. He could he could look at something and, and level it out, and it's just amazing. And I remember him once saying, "In heaven, there there ain't going to be no bulldozers." <laughs> I love that. Okay, so there, that's what we have waiting for us. Only if we have obeyed the gospel. Only if we have done what Jesus commands for us to do, will we have that joy and hope and expectation to look forward to in heaven. But if we don't do anything, if we flat out refuse, nope, I don't want to hear about this anymore, don't talk to me anymore, or if we do nothing, doing nothing, say, here's what the Bible says. Hmm, yeah, okay, that's kind of interesting. Well, you know, I've got to go and I'll talk to you later. When any more conveniences and I'll come talk to you. Doing nothing is the same as saying, no, go away. Because you are not obeying God. What do you have to look forward to then? Eternal punishment in hell. You know who your neighbor is going to be in hell? The devil and his angels. Think about that. And you know what? There will be an abundance of in hell? Regret. I, brother so-and-so was teaching me these things. I knew the gospel. I didn't do anything about it. And there's no way out. Absolutely no way out. After the judgment, Remember, all things before, all things, all of creation is destroyed. There's no place for them, nothing left. All we have to look forward to is eternity. Where is it going to be? Heaven or hell? And all of this is made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so, we end this lesson with 900 more scriptures. No, we end this lesson about your preparation. Are you prepared? Are we prepared for this? Uh, of all of the, the lessons that you, you've already heard about, about the reality of Jesus and the fact that he lives and he exists, he lives in heaven and he's reigning from heaven. And the resurrection is a result of God's plan. It's the pivotal moment in history that changed everything before, remember, there's the event, before and after. Now, we have the word of God that teaches us what we must do in order to have our sins washed away, in order to have ourselves being able to be reconciled with God in order for us to have genuine hope. Remember, wishful thinking is not hope. 
boy, I sure hope that God's going to, don't worry about it. God's, that hell is just uh, something to scare people into doing what's right. He's going to save everybody. You know what that is? Wishful thinking. Only it's false is what it is. But uh, we have genuine hope because we know these things. God laid out his plan for salvation. And this was that pivotal moment. Remember, what if Jesus had not died? None of this would matter. But he did die. And he did descend into Hades. He was resurrected, resurrected on the third day. Showed himself alive by many proofs. Up to 500 people and many others. And then ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. Reigning over his kingdom until that day when even he doesn't know. The day when God says, now is the time for judgment. He will then judge the world. Deliver the kingdom to heaven. And subordinate himself to God the Father. We who are with him will be with him for all of eternity. But are you ready? Are you ready to, uh, to, to uh, face that judgment? Think about that. Don't, don't delude yourself like I did. I thought I would. Don't, don't. If you have a question mark, don't leave without getting that question mark turned into an exclamation point. <laughs> but that's kind of tough. No, seriously, believe that Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. He said, if you do not repent, you will die in your sins. He said, if you do not confess my name before, before men, I will, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. That should scare us to death. The idea that Jesus says, I don't know you. Go away. I deny you. Because he has the power. He has the power to say, you will, will be with me or you will not be with me. You will be apart from me. Believe. Repent of our sins. Confess his name before men and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Mark 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, it doesn't matter if you're baptized. If you don't believe, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you go into there. You're not going to be saved. You'll be condemned. And another scripture to consider also. Romans 6, uh, verses uh, 3 through 6, that describes baptism as a burial. That's how we know that baptism is so essential for salvation. It is our participation in the resurrection of Christ. We die to sin. We are buried with Him in baptism, whereas we rise to walk in newness of life. So it's because of that. But it doesn't end there. It also means we need to grow in Christ. In uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's not just a good idea or a suggestion if you can get around to it. We must grow in Christ. We need to teach others. Jesus gave us the, the, the commission to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We also need to live faithfully. He that is faithful to the end, I will give a crown of life. Let's close. Uh, and then also, he that overcometh will, uh, will receive salvation. In, in Mark 6, verses, or excuse me, Romans 6, verses 3 through 6, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Are you ready? Are you ready? to face the judgment today. We offer this invitation to anyone who has perhaps been thinking about obeying the gospel. Perhaps you know 
that you need to obey. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. There's no other way. Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we follow his words and his commands so that we can do what he requires of us to have our sins washed away and we can then be added to the church. Jesus will then be our brother. Think about that. My brother, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's my brother. I only introduce you to my brother. But if you don't, he will say, I don't know you. I don't know you. Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment today? And so as we sing our invitation song, if you have any need, if you have a desire to obey the gospel now, now is the time to do that. Don't delay. Because we don't know how long we have left in this world. We don't know if we're going to step out and get hit by, by a lorry. We could die any minute now. If you have any need, let's come forward as we sing this song in the future.